0: At this time, the kids are dismissed to their program. Oh no, it's fun, huh? I hear it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I can't join you. So I, uh, I greeted the rest of the Smith family as new members. But Justin, just a just a high five distance there. Uh, welcome as a new a new member to you. <laughs> So today we're talking about floundering. Here's the definition. To flounder is to struggle or stagger helplessly or clumsily in water or mud. Or to struggle mentally, to show or feel great confusion. Or simply to be in serious uh, difficulty. Uh, Have you ever floundered? Yeah, I've I've floundered before and probably in all of these definitions at one point time or another um, but what, what strikes me most vividly is that first definition um, when I was in I guess uh, early college uh, my brothers and I thought it'd be really fun to stay the night on this tiny little island that's in the middle of Mission Bay we didn't know if anybody had done that before or even if it was uh, technically okay to do that we didn't really uh, answer a lot of those questions we just decided to be great so under cover of darkness we took our boat out there in in the night and thought let's sleep on this island why not and uh, we knew that the tide goes up and down in the bay, and so we anchored out a, a little ways to avoid you know, getting uh, stuck high and dry. Well, we didn't sleep very well. Um, but in the morning, we woke up, and uh, about halfway between where we were sleeping and where the water was, was our boat. It was uh, high and dry, and it was, it was too big a boat to move Whatsoever. So now the sun's coming up, and everybody's out on the bay, enjoying the bay, and here we are most obviously stuck on this, this island uh, with our, our boat uh, completely on dry land, uh, nowhere really near the water. So uh, we started getting hungry, and we were supposed to meet some people, and we were fighting over the last uh, blow pop that we found in the boat. Um, and so uh, I got the short straw or whatever to, to go to shore. Well, the swim wasn't terribly far. It was maybe... I don't know, maximum a couple hundred yards. Um, but then it was about 100 yards of mud to climb through uh, to get to actual uh, shore. And so I'd stick my foot in, you know, I think, I'm, oh, I'm finally on land. And I stick my foot in, it just sinks up almost to my hip. And so I, oh my goodness. So then I'm sliding on my belly. I actually had a wetsuit on, but I'm sliding. That's the only way I could not sink is just to slither across. Uh, the mud, and occasionally even then I would sink in, and people on the shore started kind of gathering and looking like, oh, what is this coming out of the, of the swamp, so to speak? So I was struggling or staggering helplessly and, and clumsily in water and mud. So that's my, my floundering story. But sometimes <laughs> we struggle or stagger helplessly or clumsily in life. Even as those who follow Jesus, we, we, we flounder, we get stuck, we, we, we flail around. We find ourselves discouraged sometimes, sometimes doubting, sometimes uh, giving into temptation, sometimes fearful, sometimes anxious. This is all floundering. The truth is, when we sign on with following Jesus, we're always over our heads. We need not sink. We're always way in over what we can handle, but we need not flounder. 2 Corinthians 4 reminds us, The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We might be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Way over our heads, But we don't need to flounder because of God's surpassing power that sustains us. But the truth is, we flounder when we forget Jesus. When we take our eyes off of him when we forget certain things about him, certain truths about Jesus, we start to sink. We start to flounder. It happens to the best of Christians. (laughs) It happens when we least expect it. In our account today from the book of Mark, we'll see that uh, the disciples had just returned from this really successful time of ministry, and that's right when they found themselves floundering. Here's uh, here's sort of the setting: um, Mark six thirty, where we ended last week, and we'll we'll pick up after this this morning. We ended last week with uh, verse thirty, says the apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. They gave a little. Jesus sent them out to do and say things, and they came back and gave a report of their ministry and and how wonderful and all the ways that that God had used them. They they reported on all that they did and all that they taught. And that sets us up for what happens next. Uh, In this passage, we'll see two themes kind of carried through it um, as we see these remarkable miracles of Jesus. Uh, One is it's this continual unfolding of Jesus' supernatural character. We see more and more of just how amazing Jesus is. It, it blows our minds to think about, wow, this is the incredible uh, Christ that we serve. His supernatural character is incredible. But the second theme that runs through this passage is the disappointing lack of understanding of the disciples. <laughs> they floundered. They, uh, they had doubts. They, they feared. They had questions. In the midst of encountering the most glorious thing, uh, they were sinking. Previously, up till this point in the book, um, we started to see this inner circle around Jesus forming. And those who were left outside really surprised us. The, the family, you know, relatives of Jesus, they, they were not all insiders. The religious leaders that knew so much about Scripture, they too were often left on the outside. But now in this chapter, we start to see, and this will... Uh, this will reoccur for a good part of Mark. We start to see even his inner circle having struggles, um, keeping their eyes on and embracing who Jesus really is. So a big lesson for all of us who, you know, consider ourselves insiders. We we know Jesus, we follow him, we've, we've placed our trust in him, um, we believe in him, and yet sometimes we struggle. So, This morning from this passage, we'll see three truths about Jesus that we need to continually remember so that we don't struggle in the way that Jesus' first disciples did. So that will be in Mark 6, uh, verse 31 to 56. And uh, if you're following in one of the the Bibles in the chair in front of you, it starts on page 841. It starts like this. Well, let me catch verse 30 again. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and all that they taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. I think the first thing we need to remember about Jesus is simply that we need him. Not, not just we need him for our initial salvation, but we need him every moment. He is our, our life source. They just had this successful ministry, and whenever that happens, whenever we have a season of life or an instance in life, when we're, we're riding on the top, so to speak, or riding high and on the mountaintop, two, two dangerous things happen. One is we think that we made that happen. And the other is we think we have to keep making it happen whenever we are in that spiritual high place. Uh, being on a mountaintop is great uh, unless you fall off. When you fall off the cliff, it's not nearly as fun anymore. So here is the cure to, that, uh, to those dangers of just thinking we made it happen and thinking that we have to continue to make it happen. And Jesus gives us this invitation. He says, come away by yourselves, to a desolate place, and rest a while. Well, it was come away with him. He, he joined them on this journey. Come away with Jesus and rest for a while. Uh, those of you who are using the, the King James, the wording is, come ye yourselves apart into a desolate place and rest. And so uh, Vance Havner commented, if you don't come apart and rest, you'll just come apart. And this is, what, this is what happens when we just keep trying to make it happen. We keep thinking it's in ourselves and we don't come apart and rest. Uh, Jesus called his disciples in chapter 4 uh, for two reasons, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Um, Actually, chapter three, Uh, he appointed the twelve why, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And so this invitation to come alongside, just be with Jesus, follow him around, be nurtured by him, be taught by him, see what he's like and and also go out in his name and make a difference in the world. These, these are, are essentials that we're talking about of thriving. That's the relationship with Jesus, abiding with him, dwelling with him in his word and in conversation and prayer and in worship, and then going out and making a difference to restore the world with the good news about Jesus and with goodness in his name, the thriving and restoring. So the problem is we turn sometimes an invitation to relationship into a tyranny of obligations. We think those invitations to prayer and, uh, and scripture are just more things we need to add to our to-do list. <laughs> but it's truly just an invitation to be with Jesus, to learn from him. Come away and rest. We'll return to this verse often because it's so central when Jesus is talking with his closest followers, explaining how this whole thing works, the Christian life. And he says, "...abide in me, dwell, remain, stay, make yourself a home with me, and I in you." Because as "...the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me." This, this is how it all works. It's when we come away and just dwell with Jesus. I cut some tree branches down pretty recently. Well, it's a flower, but I didn't take a picture. But they're already dry and dead, and uh, it just happens so fast. When we disconnect from our life source of Jesus by neglecting relational proximity with Jesus, we, we dry up. We, we wither in our souls, even if we go on working and doing and trying to please. We become dead inside. So particular danger, again, right after we've had great spiritual success. Maybe you've had a season of, of resisting, uh, being victorious over a certain uh, temptation that's plagued you in the past. And you're like, yes, I, now I got it licked. You know, now I'm, I'm good to go. And we thought that that was because of us, and we think we have to keep making it happen. Or maybe you had a successful season of parenting, uh, discipling your kids. Like, oh, this season, you know, I, this is great. And then, and then there's another chapter that has different, um, different challenges ahead of you. Maybe you've been at a camp or at a mission trip. Oh, by the way, Lopez Canyon Camp is looking for a couple of counselors. Uh, I missed that announcement earlier. Sorry, Elizabeth. Um, She she writes it out there right for me. But uh, if you're interested, ask me afterwards about being a counselor at camp, Lopez, about three weeks from now. Um, Camp ministry is fantastic. The things that God does in students' lives um, is incredible. Sometimes it's heartbreaking to see what doesn't last from those times. When we're on this spiritual success place, we're in this danger of thinking we made it happen and thinking that we need to keep making it happen. So what's what's the cure? The cure is coming away with Jesus, working um, the rhythm of our lives to come away and be with Jesus. The, The daily rhythm of where in my day do I pull back and just spend time relationally, relationally with Jesus? Where in my week do I do that? Where seasonally do I just take an extended time just to be with Jesus? We need this built into the rhythm of our lives. We just need to remember that we need Jesus. He didn't just wind us up and say, okay, now go do, do your thing, be a Christian, be good. No, it's a constant relationship of being nourished by him. We need Jesus because we never know what is right around the corner. So the disciples uh, went away with Jesus. They went out on the calm sea and just spent a little time with him. And I really hope that they soaked that up because at shore, there was something waiting for them. Verse 33, now many saw them going and they recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, this Jesus, he saw the great crowd. <laughs> so they were having a little uh, rest, a little time with Jesus, um, but the crowd was running ahead of them and was there when they landed. And then in this miracle, we see some of what Jesus is like. And really, this is the second thing we need to remember about Jesus is his his character. Remember what Jesus is like. Well, notice here that his inner circle didn't even remember what Jesus was like. So, So what is he like? Well, he's compassionate, first of all, Verse 34, uh, Jesus went ashore. He saw this great crowd and his response internally, what happened in in his heart is he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Jesus saw this intrusion of the big crowd as an opportunity to show compassion. Hey, this would be a great time to show compassion to these people who are in desperate need. Disciples saw the same scene as a nuisance and a logistical problem. They say, "Uh, Jesus, I guess not the watch, they'll look up, you know, the sun or whatever. Jesus, uh, it's late. Uh, Send them in the village to get food uh, because, you know, we're done here. But remember, Jesus is compassionate. So he answers, uh, 37, he answered them, well, give them something to eat. It's a great little comment he makes because obviously they don't have enough to feed that many people, and and they get uh, a really snarky response back from the disciples. They say, uh, "Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii of food a worth of bread so to give to them to eat?" And they just kind of snap back, "This is crazy! You expect us to go spend half a year's wages to feed this crowd?" Yeah, <laughs> do it. Do whatever. Do whatever it takes. Jesus was compassionate about their spiritual needs. He spent time, spent time teaching them. He's also compassionate about just their, their basic physical needs. They were hungry, and so he said, let's, let's feed them. But he's not only compassionate. He's also capable. <laughs> More than capable. The rest of the story, Jesus says, well, what do you have? And they, like, Well, we have five loaves and two fish. So they sat people down in these groups all on the, the mountainside and uh, he blessed the what the little they brought, and he just starts passing it out. And you know the miracle—he just keeps passing it out and keeps passing it out. And the food, food just abundant, abundant food. And they had a bunch left over. Uh, verse forty-two: They all ate, and they were all satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. They just had all this food left over, more than enough, abundance from God. He is so. So capable. Okay, there are a lot of, I'm um, going say rabbit trails, or just fascinating things about this passage that, that I won't dwell on, but just kind of to mention some briefly is uh, some interesting things about this miracle. One is these really vivid descriptions of how the people were in the rows, in the groups, and how it says the green grass on the hill, and all these kind of uh, uh, eyewitness sort of descriptions here, probably uh, Peter's account of, of what happened. Another thing, so many commentators have noted uh, what they call the, the Eucharistic words, I'll explain, in this passage. So as, it, as the passage describes Jesus uh, taking up the bread, breaking it, um, giving it, uh, blessing it, it uses the very same verbs in the same order as he does later when, um, when in the First uh, Communion, in the Lord's Supper meal. And uh, it seems like Mark's doing something intentional in that. Different ideas What? There's parallels with both Moses and, and Elijah. There's all these interesting figures recorded, the 100s and 50s and five loaves and two fish and 12 baskets, all these, all these things. Um, and, and there's just several other things kind of interesting or unique about this miracle. And all of it together just says, this is an especially important miracle happening here. It's, it's like he placed it out here, you cannot miss The significance of this. And the disciples, uh, they they missed it. (laughs) They missed the significance of what Jesus was capable of. If Jesus' closest friends and constant companions forget that Jesus is compassionate and Jesus is capable, uh, do we have that same danger? I, I think so. We need to acknowledge that. Do true followers of Jesus sometimes despair at circumstances? Yeah, sometimes we do. Do we sometimes distrust God's good intentions? Sometimes that happens. Do we sometimes doubt that God can be trusted to take care of the very thing that we're facing right now? We can can be that. In our trials, we need to remember what Jesus is like. And among other things, he's compassionate and he's capable. He's quite capable. There's this recurring theme in Mark that we've looked at before. The questions of, does Jesus care? Yes. <laughs> Can Jesus help? Yes. And so we see that again here. Uh, there's a great song, uh, Mighty to Save, Hillsong, I think. It says, everyone needs compassion. That's what we need, whether we realize it or not. A love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. I like that phrase. It brings it a lot bigger than just our own personal thing. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. My God is compassionate, and my God is powerful. He's capable. He he does care, and he can help. He is loving, and he is powerful. He is compassionate, and he is capable. So here we have 5,000 men that are spiritually and physically full (laughs) sitting on the hillside. And uh, Jesus and his disciples split. Verse 45. Immediately, he, Jesus, he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain. He sensed this kind of urgency. He's like, get out of here. Some of the other... um, I think John's account of this, um, most of the Gospels give the same account. Uh, John explains that the people were trying to make him king by force. And so uh, to avoid that awkward situation, they just got out of there. And he sent them out to sea, and they have more trouble at sea. Remember when they had some trouble at sea before? They thought they were going to drown. Jesus came to the rescue. Well, this time Jesus is not in the boat with them. He goes up on the mountain. He sends the disciples in the boat. Um, you ever gone through a really difficult time and it just seems like God's not there with you? <laughs> where, where is he, right? When, you know, I need him the most, right? When everything's falling apart, right? When I'm, I'm uh, paddling and paddling and getting nowhere and God seems completely uh, absent. We may know theoretically that he's with us, but we just don't, don't sense it. So this miracle, I think, is a really beautiful account of what Jesus is actually doing when it seems like uh, he's absent. So our third thing is we need to remember about Jesus is remember what he does. <laughs> or remember what he is doing. What is Jesus up to when you are struggling? <laughs> when he seems distant. Well, why did Jesus go up on the mountain when he sent the disciples out to sea? Verse 46 says... He went up on the mountain to what? To pray. What is Jesus doing when you're struggling? He's, he's praying for you. <laughs> you struggle. Meanwhile, Jesus is interceding. Uh, the author of Hebrews uh, says this in a really powerful way. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I like how we use that expression, like, oh, he lives for such and such, you know. He he lives for sports or he lives for ice cream or whatever it might be. Jesus lives uh to make intercession for you. The not uh, not to get nerdy here, but the preposition there, uh who pair, is means uh, on behalf of or for the benefit of someone. So it's interceding on behalf of for the benefit of you. Romans 8:27. As this thought, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here, while you are going through your difficult time, you wonder, what's Jesus up to? Where's God in all of this? Meanwhile, the Holy Trinity is having a conversation about you for your benefit. They're talking about you behind your back, and they're talking good about you. They're interceding for your benefit. And that is a powerful thought. Jesus is up on the mountain praying for you, (laughs) praying for his disciples. Uh, What else is he doing? Second, Jesus is watching you. Verse 48, he's up on the mountain. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. From Jesus' vantage point, uh, he could just see his disciples rowing, 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 and going nowhere. Um, when I was in Israel, I got to hike up Mount Arbel, and that's a a place where they think that Jesus would get away to pray. It's on the, you can see from this picture, it's uh, next to the Sea of Galilee. I just picture sitting upon this mountain, looking down, and you could see uh, a boat not making headway from, from that vantage point. He's up there praying for them and watching them. Oh, yeah, they're still not making headway. And so, uh, Jesus, in his vantage point in heaven, uh, can clearly see all that you are going through. He's paying attention to you. And he responds, verse 48, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Walking on the sea, he meant to pass them by. So what's Jesus doing in the middle of your difficulty is uh, he draws near to you. He, he wants to encounter you there in the middle of your, your difficult place. In their struggle, he showed up. It says he came to them. Um, this curious little phrase, uh, he meant to pass them by, is probably just the narrative way of describing how the disciples saw this. It looked like he was just going to pass right, right by him. But, uh, but no, he was coming uh, to be with them. <laughs> In your difficulty, Jesus draws near. Uh, The psalmist says this beautifully, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Even if all those things happened and more, God is our refuge and strength and a very present, He's with us. Help. In your difficulty, Jesus draws near, but if you're not expecting it, you might miss it, as the disciples did. Verse 49 uh, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost. Well, you can't blame him too much because, you know, <laughs> people don't just walk on the sea usually. But, but they should. the point is they should be knowing him by now. They just saw him do these great things. And, uh, and they cried out, for they all saw him and they were terrified. So when that happens, Jesus speaks to them. Verse 50, uh, they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. This whole episode, this whole um, encounter on the sea uh, was an opportunity to uh, reveal himself to the disciples, to teach them something, to shape them, uh, to to instruct them. Jesus is instructing us. And what does he say in particular to his disciples in this moment of, of extreme frustration, if not fear, as they're, they're rowing against the wind? He says, uh, take heart. This phrase that means be, be of good cheer. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Take courage. Even now, you can have joy. You can have trust. You can have hope. You can have courage even now in the middle of whatever you're going through because Jesus is with you. And then he just says, uh, it, it is I. This I'm Jesus. I'm right here with you. Remember what I'm like. I'm compassionate. I'm capable. I can handle this. The most important thing in this scene is this opportunity for a transformative encounter with Jesus. Uh, I like how it mentions the, the calming of the sea kind of as a peripheral in passing. Uh, he got into the boat and the sea calmed down and then he had this conversation with them. It's almost... Uh, a side part of the story that, uh, that the wind stopped. The important thing was that Jesus was with them in the boat. Jesus orchestrated this life-transforming opportunity, uh, but do they get it? <laughs> Verse 51, they were utterly astounded. They did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. His closest followers missed what was happening with Jesus right in front of them. Uh, R.T. France, um, a scholar kind of an expert on Mark, uh, he makes this comment about this section, uh, the two important themes in this miracle that I mentioned in the beginning. One is, first, is clearly the supernatural power of Jesus. But second, corresponding to the incredibly supernatural character of the portrait of Jesus is this increasing inability of his disciples to cope with it. <laughs> We, we don't want to be like that. We want to uh, remember what Jesus is like and what he does for us and that we, we desperately need him. He's interceding on our behalf. The good news is that we don't have to flounder. <laughs> there is, a, is still a chance for us. And as we see the rest of the story here in uh, when they land on shore, people meet them. Jesus continues to minister. He continues to heal people. He keeps ministering, and eventually, the disciples catch on. In that, we see the unfolding story throughout the book as they are with Jesus and see him do these things and hear him teach again and again. Eventually, uh, we see them understanding, and God uses these men to change the world. So there, there's hope for us. What difficult thing are you going through? Something annoyingly frustrated, like frustrating, like rowing all night against the wind and getting nowhere. A nice life feels like that. Will I ever be able to make ends meet? I just keep rowing and rowing and rowing. Will my spouse ever change? Will I ever get married? Will my chronic pain ever go away? Will gophers ever stop eating my plants? Whatever it is that you're just, I can't, I just keep at it, and it's just so frustrating. Maybe it's not just frustrating, like rowing against the wind, maybe it's more terrifying, like when the disciples were in the boat before and the waves were going to sink the boat and they felt the imminent danger for their lives. Maybe your life or your marriage or your future or your family is under imminent threat. Or maybe right now, things are awesome. Life is great and you're in a season of spiritual success. In all these situations, we need to remember that we need Jesus we need to remember what he's like. He is compassionate. He's capable. And we, re- we need to remember what Jesus is doing on our behalf. He's interceding. He's watching. He's, he's drawing near to us. He's instructing us. Jesus is uh, he's laboring day and night. He lives for um, transforming your life. He lives for your benefit to take care of you it's so we need to respond by simply taking heart (laughs) trusting in jesus his intentions for you his capability his compassion and just throw ourselves into his his arms and say yeah jesus i believe you are all that you have said you are uh, as is evidenced when we when we follow him i'm glad we have a a savior like that (laughs) let's let's give thanks for that right now Lord God, thank you for this, um, this part of Mark and these accounts, this, these incredible uh, accounts of what you have done. The way, the way you are at work, the way you, you love and are compassionate, and the way you are so mighty and powerful and can take care of uh, the, the biggest things in life. May we just trust you with all of our hearts. May we just throw ourselves um, at your feet and at your mercy and fall into your, your arms Uh, in response, because you can be totally trusted. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.